Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You guys! Hello, friends! Yay! So good to see you. Well, Jesus, we just came here tonight in front of all these red balloons just to tell you we just love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We, we just showed up as the ones you love. It's so wild. It's so extravagant. And, and we just showed up just to plop ourselves in the middle of your ridiculous love. So we just thank you that you're here. And we just, we just give you the utmost place of honor. And we just say our, our eye is so steady on you. That it's the happiest thing we could do with our life to seek first your kingdom. <laughs> that nothing, nothing else can come close to comparing with what we would want to do with our life. We love you, Jesus. <laughs> you guys, we're going to be in John 15 tonight. If you want to turn there. Uh, I'll tell you a couple funny stories while you're turning there. This, this week, Saturday, I think, we were all sitting around in the living room and, no, Sunday. Are you guys enjoying your Sunday mornings? I mean, we're going to have a cup of coffee in the morning. It's 7.03, so coffee's just a few hours away. I start thinking about my morning coffee this time of night. It just fills my heart with so much joy. I'm going to sit there in my plaid pajamas and I'm going to sip coffee so slow. And then you go out in public and everybody looks at you like you need to be saved. You know, if you forget to grab something, you know, you're like, you're, it's like, it's like when somebody tells you your eyes were open when we prayed. <laughs> you're like, well, you're not a church either. <laughs> we're both not a church. <laughs> Let's hug. <laughs> So we were just sitting around. The girls were playing. Justin and I were reading our Bibles. And he's like, okay, girls, I'm going to read you a verse. And he starts reading this verse. And Liberty, she's four. She goes, Dad, nobody cares about that. (laughs) It's so cute now. But like in 10 years, I'll have anxiety if she's saying things like that. So I, I had to not laugh, you know. And then... A few days later, I sit in the same chair and read the same Bible every day. And she comes up to me and she's like looking where I'm at and flips it for a second. And she's like, when are you going to be done with that book? (laughs) I will never be done with this book. (laughs) This book will never be done with me. (laughs) So we're doing good, babe. We're doing real good. (laughs) So I just wanted to meditate together through one of my 
favorite passages tonight. Are you guys okay with that? Meditating is like my favorite hobby, especially if I'm in my favorite plaid Christmas pajamas. So 15 verse 1. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words that I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. And, you know, the, the seasons of being a, a branch in this vine are interesting. Yeah, I remember I remember one of the first seasons of pruning that I, I was aware I was giving my yes to this whole process. <laughs> and I, I just got out of high school. I was 18, and I moved like 12 hours down to L.A. away from everyone that was a comfort that I knew and loved. And um, right about middle of the year, the Lord just started trimming off everything wonderful in my life. And I, he, you know, I remember he, he invited me to uh, leave the school I was at and, and go to this school in Redding, California that everyone in my circle felt was a cult, Bethel Redding Supernatural School of Ministry. And I remember I used to feel like I am awesome. And then I would say, I'm withdrawing from college to go to this ministry school. And I would just get this look like you're a loser. You, you're ruining your life. People never go back to college if they quit you know, and thank you for the feedback. Thank you. And, you know, then like two months later, it's the night before my 19th birthday. And I used to spend like two hours getting ready every single morning and had, was completely unaware of how much of my identity was tied to my physical appearance. And clearly have swung the pendulum very far in the other direction. And <laughs> If you could try to flash back with me, this is a true story. And I'm like on the brink of my 19th birthday, just laying in bed, do to do. And all of a sudden, I feel the finger of the Lord pressing on my heart. You know, it's more like a pointy, sharp knife. And he's like, I would like you to not buy clothes your entire 19th year like 365 days. I was a college student, so I already was running low on underwear. I already had lots of needs stacking up, like 365 days. It felt like a huge deal to me at the time. And I was sweating. My hands were, you know, totally sweating. And I just wrestled back and forth on my bed. Maybe I'm making this up. And you know when it's the Lord and you say, maybe I'm making this up, and then you hear the laughter, you know, like, and I, I remember sliding off my bed and getting on my knees and just saying, I will not, I will not buy clothes this entire year. 
I remember several months later, I am visiting this school I'm going to withdraw from college to go to, and I'm in the prayer house, and this guy, Lou Engel, that I had never heard of, comes into the prayer room, and he's got that raspy voice, and he's calling a generation to fast and pray. And my heart starts racing, and I feel the finger of the Lord again, and and I would like you to fast for 40 days. I'm like, like no food or, or like uh, entertainment fast, <laughs> like no food for 40 days. So I'm a loser that left college. I look like a homeless person and I'm starving. And I, I had been dating Justin Stockman, who was dropped at gorgeous, who loved Jesus, is, flashback. You keep getting better, baby. You keep getting better. And I feel the finger of the Lord. You know, uh, I'd like you to break, break up with him. Like, like, don't talk to him. <laughs> and like, like the guy who loves you and is drop-dead gorgeous and who I've already envisioned having his babies and dying like the notebook together, like him. <laughs> I'm, I just want to make sure I have the right man because there's lots of fish out there and I particularly like this one. Yeah, him, him. I don't want you calling him anymore. <laughs> so now I'm also single, single, real single. And so I'm on this, I'm on this 40-day fast, and I'm like five days in, and I've had so many peppermint mochas in five days. I'm like, so as long as you don't chew food, it's like a fast. So I was just, I just drank sugar for like five days, and I'm like, I am so unholy. And I remember I got back to LA and I was I was on like literally day 5.2 hours, you know. And I'm sitting on my floor and I eat peanut M&Ms and potato chips, I think. Like and I made it five days. I barely, that's like three snacks. I made it through three snacks. I am a homeless loser. And so I show up like three days later to my, uh, this Baptist church I had been attending that I loved. And uh, they were literally, no joke, handing out tracks that said how to healthfully and successfully fast for 40 days. And I'm like, I have another chance, you know, I, I can't be a light to a generation, you know, I can't be like Lou Engle. <laughs> and come to find out, drinking mochas five times a day is not a good idea if you're going to fast for 40 days. So, for, I just walked around that whole year literally feeling ridiculous. Like, everyone look at me, I am ridiculous. And, you know, a good way to tell if you're in a season of pruning is you feel ridiculous. And you look ridiculous. And it's just all true. And good friends just laugh with you about how ridiculous you look. You're a naked branch. There's a naked branch, you know? But the thing is, is that somewhere along the line, the vine dresser is answering a prayer that you pray. 
way more mushy, like, you know, red Valentine balloons in the background. I just want to live for you. You know, you like poured out your heart in the shower. I don't want to care what anyone thinks. I'm going to live for Jesus. And then he's like, don't buy clothes for a year or eat food, break up with your boyfriend. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) you know? And we will never know if fruit is defining our value and defining our worth until seasons of pruning. When the fruit is gone and it's just you naked branch hanging out in the vine and you find out, oh, whoa, I super care about what people think. (laughs) I super care about this fruit covering up my vulnerability. I super care about what is visible when there's no fruit covering up who I am. I, I super care, actually. And it's seasons of pruning that become gifts to us to be rerouted to where our true source is, to where our true life is, to where our true value is. And our ability to embrace seasons of pruning is what is setting us up to be able to carry extraordinary fruit that we are destined for and not have it crush our intimacy and not have it crush our integrity and not have it crush the relationships in our life that mean the most to us. And so whatever you are embracing right now in whatever season you're in, It's always because the vine dresser is thinking about the next season. He's thinking about where you're headed. He's dreaming about where he wants to take you. He's dreaming about what what he wants you to grow. And you know what? What will always, I, I have learned to fall in love with seasons of pruning. You know, I just came out of a season where, you know, several nights in a row for a few months, I felt that finger of the Lord, that very sharp, pointy finger. It's better identified as a knife. Into my heart. And and even though I can feel it cutting away things that don't belong, I treasure his love. I treasure the kindness I see in his eyes. Honey, this can't go with you where I'm wanting to take you. If if this continues to define your value, what I want to give you will crush you. And I, I have fallen in love with the look in his eye that affirms he loves me more than my fruit. He's more passionate about our connection than what I can produce. And you know, the first thing the enemy tried to do was to get Jesus to produce some fruit. You know, he, he was hungry and awkward and he, was, he, was, he wasn't eating food and he didn't have a girlfriend and who knows what else the father was doing there. And, you know, the enemy, the enemy was attacking his value. Hey, produce something, son of God. Prove something, son of God. Shouldn't you have something magnificent popping out of your life out here in the wilderness? And, and you know, Jesus felt no pressure to 
perform for that voice. Jesus felt no pressure to produce, to accommodate that lie or to prove something with his life. And, and you know, in seasons of pruning, it provides an opportunity to actually hear the voices that are influencing our identity. And when you can hear it, it's actually a victory. It's not failure. It's actually like, oh, hallelujah, I've been living this many years with my identity tied to my appearance. What a, what a terrible way to live. I've been living this many years thinking my value is here, and now I can hear it. Now, now I can happily step into his presence and say, have your way with me, Papa. Have your way with me. And the more seasons that we experience the kindness and, and the way it wraps itself around, the greater our trust and our intimacy grows. You know, just a few years ago, I had a student come up to me, and she had tears in her eyes, and she's like, I, I have something to tell you. And, you know, normally it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to be mad, you know, just read your homework next time, you know. And, and, you know, she's like, I need to give you this, this money. And I feel like the Lord told me you need to go shopping. <laughs> and it's like 15 years later. And I, I instantly know that the Father is remembering my yes on the brink of my 19th birthday. And I instantly know I was so grateful you would yield to me. I was so grateful that you would trust me. I was so grateful that when you didn't understand, you would give me your yes. And I remember we went shopping and, and, and there was only joy. There was no value or worth attached to that thing in my life any longer. And his motive towards us is always kind and always good. And it's always a response to what we really want, to the true cry of our heart. And, you know, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's look at verse 5. I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. You know, of, of all the places Jesus could have decided to place us. He placed us inside himself. And, you know, we get, when we feel powerless in situations and circumstances and relationships, it's a really good opportunity to follow it back to what is my source right now? What am I believing my source is? Because if I'm feeling powerless, I have disconnected somewhere from the reality of the power I live in, from the reality of where I have been seated. And, you know, when Steve's friend was here, um, Pastor Crabtree, he said this statement that has just stuck with me. He said, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a perfect, wild swirl of intimate love and connection. It's perfect and beautiful. And, you know, before the foundation of the world, they were not sad. There was fullness of joy. They, they are the fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit 
that is to be produced in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. There was no lack when they dreamed us into being. And they decided to put you right in the middle of that perfect swirl of wild, intimate love and connection. And, and sometimes we just got to stop and we got to take a look at what's truly happening all around us because extravagant love is un, in unending measures surrounding our life. Perfect goodness, perfect glory. You have been placed in the vine. You have been grafted inside of Christ. And, you know, I've been feeling this word bellowing up in my spirit these last several months about, you know, perfect community. If we don't understand where we start, we could spend our whole life looking for something we already have. And you have been positioned inside of perfect community. And I've just been seeing this dangling carrot in front of the people of God. And it just says community on it. And, and the enemy makes it deceives us to believe it will just always be just out of reach. That, that thing I long for, I dream for, and intimacy and deep connection, it's always just out of reach. And, you know, when, when God said, it is not good for man to be alone, it was because he knew we get very weird without people. And... and we need people to laugh at us when we're in our pruning seasons or we start taking ourselves too seriously. And, but he said, it is not good for man to be alone in the context of Adam having perfect connection with the father. It was, it was in the context of he, he was born into perfect love that never knew a violation, that only knew abundance, that only knew plenty. And in that context of perfect intimacy, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And people will never be our source. People will always be our target. And, you know, the... Orphans and sons are both born with the same needs. We need food, we need relationship, we need love, we need affection. But orphans learn shame in needs because there's no father. He's looking out for himself and, and the needs push him to the side of the road holding the pan of a beggar. And sons learn joy in needs because it pushes him into the house where there's a happy father. Open the fridge. I have more than enough. Come sit at the table. There's always a place for you. There's abundance. You're known. You're wanted. And when we do relationship, we, we are living from the abundance of heaven towards earth. And for for the people of God, it's got to look different than it looks in any other sphere. The, the church is not a country club. We're not, we're not here just to get needs met. 
We are a, a warrior, victorious bride who is, has blood on her sword, destroying the works of the enemy through intimacy in this vine. And we, we gather together so that I can look over and, and see aged saints still going strong, living stronger at the end than they started at the beginning. That I could look over and know my friends are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and there's blood on their sword. That I can look over and see Aged saints receiving from a young preacher woman with humility and passion. And it is to encourage our spirit. It's, it's to add fuel to our fire. It's, it's to cause courage to come as we strengthen each other arm to arm. And knowing that we have been positioned in perfect community changes everything about the way we do relationships. And... Listen to this. He says, I love each of you, in verse 9, with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. You know, I love just to spend time thinking about this statement with the same love that the father has loved me the same love the same love and, and we do not have permission to run over this as a truth Jesus spoke. We don't have permission to believe anything less than he loves us with the same love that the Father has loved him. And, you know, listen to this verse I read the other day. When the heavens open and the Father speaks about Jesus, listen to what he says in Matthew 17. This is my dearly loved son, the constant focus of my delight. <laughs> this is my dearly loved son, the constant focus of my delight. Like, we have to step in to that reality. Like, we have permission to step into the ooey, gooey center of I and the constant focus of the delight of my father. He is intentionally focusing his delight on me right now in this moment. And, and we choose with our faith to step into this reality. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing of, of, about this is that it's our yieldedness to truth that opens up our experience. And so if this doesn't feel true, we don't have permission to not believe it because our feelings don't validate truth. We're, we're believers because we've chosen to believe what the Bible says is true, no matter what our circumstance says, no matter what our feelings say, no matter what our friends say, no matter what our relationships say, you are the intentional, constant, focused delight of the Father. And we have permission to believe nothing less than that. And 
listen to this. My purpose for telling you all these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Like, he wanted to tell us his motive. This is my motive for everything I just told you about intimacy and love, is that I want you to be overwhelmingly happy. (laughs) He wants you to be happy. This is what the Bible says. I want you to be happy. (laughs) And, you know, the thing about living in the vine is that we're not working hard to produce fruit. We're not working hard to produce joy. If you showed up tonight, if you woke up this morning and there's really no joy in sight, that, that your, your goal isn't to work hard to produce joy and make joy happen. He's saying, I have enough for you. I have enough for you. If you would just lean into the vine, that I will give you my joy. And, you know, I've been, I've been living on borrowed joy for a super long time. I just, I mean, the tank can be completely empty. And I just purpose to show up and live grafted into the vine. He has more than enough joy. He has more than enough peace. He has more than enough patience. I fall, I fall short all the time. I, I try to teach a child to read. I'm like, Lord Jesus, I don't have enough. <laughs> you know? And, and we go back to intimacy. We go back to this is the fruit that comes from him when we abide in intimacy. And he has taken your joy incredibly personally. And our joy manifesting here on planet earth is supposed to be fruit that points back to the Father. Listen to this verse. Yeah. Verse 8, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. So the point of your fruit is not that you could feel good and significant in your life, but that it would point to the nature of your Father. Hey, where did you get that joy? Where did you get that ridiculous amount of love? How, how, where did that kindness come from? And your fruit isn't supposed to point to you. It's supposed to point to a realm of invitation. Hey, there's room for you in this vine. I just hung out here with Jesus and this popped out. I didn't, I didn't even really know what happened. I was super depressed, and then I just kept hanging out here, and before I knew it, his smile started to become my smile, and I started to be impacted by how happy he was. This actually isn't even mine. I don't know how I got it. I, I, I just want to confess, I tried not to steal it, but this is definitely borrowed joy. This is definitely borrowed peace. This is definitely nothing I disciplined myself into growing. I definitely didn't work hard as a branch to pop out good fruit. I just kept hanging out in the vine, surrendering the process to this beautiful redeemer. And how our fruit grows is as important as the fruit itself because we're not called to bear beautiful fruit for a season we're called to be in it for the long haul
prepared for the greatest season of our life. And it will always be ahead of us. So whatever you're being stretched to believe right now, whatever is challenging your place of rest in the vine, it is literally just preparing you for what's coming. Because like what Steve talked about, when he puts a city on top of your connection, you won't be able to sleep in the boat. When he puts a nation and that's hanging off the branch and there's all sorts of complicated problems, all the pressure is to remain on the vine. I'm just a branch here trusting the vine. That's how I got here. That's how I'm going to stay here. But when you're working really hard and disciplining yourself and trying to grow your fruits of the Holy Spirit, then that is what will have to sustain your growth. And it's not sustainable relationship, trusting. When, whenever the emphasis is on what we do and how we do it, we've lost sight of the need for, for trust in the person of Jesus. We've lost sight of the need for mercy. We've, we've lost sight of the need for vulnerability with him. We've lost sight of the, of the dependence and the childlike nature that just naively trusts fruit's going to show up. Fruit's going to show up. It always does. It somehow does. But I'm just going to keep magnifying Jesus. I'm going to keep making this vine really big and beautiful. And he says, I, I can't over-exaggerate how more than enough he is. And so our fruit is to point back to the glory of the Father. And, and look at this. <clears throat> he wants you to be happy. You know, it, it says in the Bible, he who sits in the heaven, in the heavens laughs. <laughs> so if, if you have ever wondered what they're doing up there, <laughs> they're just laughing. They're just laughing. I mean, it's what the Bible says. He who sits in the heavens, he's just laughing. He's laughing and laughing and laughing. I mean, the more I know him, the more I am so impressed with how happy he is. Just ridiculously care. Are, are you unaware of all the problems? Or how, how are you living at this degree of happiness? And he who sits in the heavens is laughing. And if we want the kingdom of heaven to manifest on earth, we have to start taking joy seriously. We, we have to start looking at the nature of heaven. That joy is the atmosphere of heaven. And it is, it is an expression of faith. I can be happy because I have a father taking care of that. I can be happy because I have a father. Father, who is constantly looking over my life with his delight. And joy is an expression of faith. It is a violent expression of the goodness of God. It shouts, I trust in him. I trust in him. I trust in him. And you know, the, the greater our influence in, in the kingdom realm grows, the greater our boundaries, our borders of joy should be growing. Sometimes I just sit in my chair and I think, I'm just going to be happy for no reason. I, I, I'm going to practice looking at your happy face and I'm just going to practice being happy for no reason. 
And it's an expression of the kingdom, of the nature of what's happening in heaven. Look at this. So then he goes on to say, so this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. So it goes from, I've loved you with the same love my father loved me to love others with the same love I've loved you. <laughs> and for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his love, his life for his friends. That, that Jesus is our standard of what love is. And, you know, this, when I <clears throat> have navigated seasons of feeling insecure in relationships of, uh, you know, I, I used to get really jealous. All of those fruits of the flesh, envy, anger, those were all very accessible in my life. I could go pick a piece of fruit off that tree really anytime I wanted. <laughs> it's been so long since I've been jealous. I can't really remember what it feels like, but just trust me, I was there. And uh, this, is, this is where I would start to go. I would park myself right here, love each other deeply. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his love for his friends. And the way we burn off any motive towards people that isn't the motive of Jesus is we don't, we don't try to cover up our insecurity or cover up our jealousy or cover up our fear of missing out when we, we feel driven towards people with motives that are not love. That we, we come and we park ourselves right here in the reality of Jesus' standard. And, and we wait, we say, I will not move until you have burnt off my life and impure move, motive. I will not move. And, and, and you just, you start to pray that thing you didn't get invited to. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a loser. I have no community. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. You, you, you don't try to get invited to that thing. You go sit in the lack and, and you say, purify my motive. Let me be driven by a love that's eternal. I don't want a fruit that's for a season. I want to love people for the long haul. I want to love people with eternal love. I want Jesus to get a reward in the way that I love. It's invisible. The motive that's driving you can only be seen by heaven. And it's right here that we learn to live like Jesus. And if it's not a satisfying love, then we probably need to pay a greater price. <laughs> and, you know, in, in seasons where I have felt dissatisfied, I have to come park it back into what is true love. What is true love? It's not, it's not sipping coffee at a coffee shop as much as I love it. It's I have counted the cost and I've laid down my life that everyone in my sphere would benefit because I'm here. I've counted the cost and I'm not showing up to benefit me. I'm showing up because I'm an ambassador of heaven. I'm showing up because we're in a war and I don't have time to waste growing fruit that's not eternal. I'm showing up because there's blood on my sword and I'm determined that Jesus will get his full reward in me. And if we 
seat with Jesus, it's probably because he set an invitation to go low. And, and we jumped over it <laughs> intentionally or on accident. I remember this one time I said, well, Lord, I feel like that door closed. And he said, don't see the door closed when it just shrunk. And it takes a lot of humility to get that low. <laughs> I'm going low now. I'm crawling through the door. I'm crawling through the door. <clears throat> you know, there was this one time, Kylie was really little, and she, uh, she just loved food. All my kids, like, another story, another day. And so we're at the mall, the Eureka Bayshore Mall, and they strategically put those pretzel shops right by the kids' playland. And so we're like playing around, you know, she's waddling like a little toddler, and I'm just watching on the sideline because I know she's going to start uh, seeing out of the corner of her eye. There's this, the pretzel is like this big. It's like triple the size of her body. And it's a cardboard pretzel and it's blinking. It actually has flashing lights and it looks exactly like a pretzel. And it smells like pretzel because they're baking fresh pretzels right by the slides. And I watch as she makes eye contact with the larger than life blinking pretzel. And she just starts running towards the cardboard pretzel. And so I'm a great mom, so I let her go over there. And I'm, I watch her, and she stands right up. I can see her mouth is starting to, like, salivate. And she's just, like, looking at it. Her eyes are so huge. And she leans over, and she licks the cardboard pretzel. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm, like, laughing. And I let her do it again. And <laughs> she's, like... She's so confused, and she just looks so disappointed. I let her do it three times. And <laughs> I go swoop her up. I'm like, oh, honey, that's fake, you know? And, <laughs> and this is the thing. You actually have to, you actually have to step up to the counter, and you actually have to pay a price for a real good, satisfy the craving, meet, meet, you know, the expectation of the smell and the flashing lights that, you know, she could have walked away and thought, pretzels taste like cardboard. <laughs> and, and she could have hurt people the rest of her life. I love pretzels. You know, I love, I would give my whole life if I had 10,000 lives, I would live for pretzels over and over. And, and she could have grown up a cynical old woman thinking pretzels taste like cardboard. You're lying to yourself. <laughs> and, you know, if somewhere along the line in our walk, Jesus has started to taste like cardboard, that relationships have started to taste like cardboard. This isn't satisfying. This, this is a whole lot of talk, and, and it's not meeting the expectation. There's, there's signs, wonders pointing to this thing that's going to be so wonderful, and I tasted it, and it's, it's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. I, I just want to encourage us. There's no need to go into shame or guilt, but owning I have become cynical somewhere. And there, there is a place I need to pay a price for the real thing because it's free. 
but it costs your whole life. And, and listen, you don't get the real, satisfying, overwhelming. There's nowhere else I want to be but in this vine until we find ourselves giving it all away. You want my reputation? You can have it. You, you want my bent to hide? You can have it. You want me to show up naked and unashamed looking ridiculous? You can have it. You want me to move across the country? You can have it. It. You want me to no longer worry about my kids? I'm laying down my life. You want me to celebrate others when they're promoted? I'm laying down my life. You want who I am to benefit a greater cause than building my own kingdom? I've come to lay down my life. And if you find yourself in a cynical place, you need to build an altar. Because I promise you, there is real satisfying, bigger than life, blinking life. It's worth it all, fulfilling, living in the vine life, waiting for you when you just say yes. And, you know, Bill Johnson says the gospel is we sign away our life, and he fills in the blanks later. <laughs> just a big old blank sheet of paper. And, you know, this is the thing. Our life was ridiculous. You know, so... I mean, I was jealous, I was insecure, I was afraid, I was broken, I lived in so much pain, I didn't want to live, I, 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 I was hurting, there was no hope inside of me, and I'm face down in the dirt, take me now, yeah. and then I, I see this beautiful man standing over my ridiculous life. My ridiculous life. I didn't even want this life. <laughs> and he's just happy. He's happy. I'll take it. I'd like your life. I'd like your life. I'd like, I'd like it all. From, from right now, the next 10,000 years, into eternity, I'm, I'm looking for a yes. And we didn't do some wonderful, courageous thing. We gave up a life we didn't want. <laughs> and you know when we start bearing fruit and it looks pretty and he starts do you remember do you remember what I've done with your life can, can we stay connected to the source can we remember I was face down in the dirt there was no hope there there was no bright future I was broken beyond repair and one thing alone rescued my life. This is this Jesus who is ridiculous, ridiculous in all his goodness. And now it's like I, I can't wait for places to surrender. I, I, I find myself laying awake at night saying, what else can I give away? This pillow, you want this pillow? You want that toothbrush? I mean, what, what, what can I give you? Because you have been so kind. I am so rich. And all I want to do with my life is to give it to you. This breath I'm breathing is borrowed air. And there's nothing more I would want to do with my life than give 10,000 
yeses to you. And now when I, when I feel the pruning and I, I feel him coming close to clip something off my life, I just feel so undone by his kindness. Thank you. Thank you for looking over my soul. Thank you for caring for me more than I could ever care for myself. And, you know, when we start to feel fluff and puff on our life, and there's a complacency that we feel bellowing over our soul like a little phlegm. We have to find a place to lay down. Because the only thing I have found to take care of complacency is build an altar and give it away all over again. Here's 10,000 yeses. Here's every relationship. Here's every penny. Here's every dollar. And the quickest way out of complacency and out of a lie that pretzels don't satisfy is to lay down your life. And don't look back and don't expect it to be beautiful tomorrow. But expect the presence of Jesus right by your side. So why don't we just go ahead and stand up. <clears throat> and we, we just say all to Jesus we surrender. <laughs> we love you, Jesus. And, and we are the people that are interested in eternal fruit. We're not interested in burning bright for a season we're not we're not interested in doing well for a few years we're, we're interested at being a hundred years old and and burning more brightly and living more undignified than when we first began we're, we're looking to be the people that live in and out of seasons so intimately surrendered to this vine, so intimately surrendered to this one goal. We want to know you. We want to know you. We just love you tonight, Jesus. Let's just, let's just close with this song. Um, uh, Josh, can you start us off with Turn Your Eyes on Jesus? Just loud. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.